Good morning, church. How are you guys? All right, man. I am so fired up. My name is Doug, and I am blessed to get to follow Jesus with all of you. Together, we get to multiply disciples and churches. We get to read our Bibles together and serve one another, enjoy our city groups, and do crazy things like become one church in two locations, right? That's nuts. How did we ever get to this place? How did this happen? And what were we thinking I don't even know, right? Like for you guys, this feels normal, except there's actually seats around you. Well, like there's some. Invite your friends. We'll figure out how to make room for people. I love getting to do this with all of you, right? Gone are the days of one building. And here are the days of two locations. And as exciting as our future is, I want to start this morning by looking at our past. We all have a past, right? Some of them are more colorful than others. Some of us, our histories are pretty boring. For others of us, our history would make a really entertaining movie to watch. We all have a past, a story to tell, a road that we have walked. And there's some parts of our past that we want everyone to know about. Like when I proposed to Whitney in the foothills of the Rocky Mountains, I went down on one knee. I was wearing charcoal pants, this button-up blue shirt that she can't resist, and she said yes. (laughs) It was awesome. But then there's other parts of our past that we prefer just to stay hidden, like pretend like they never existed. Like right before I proposed to Whitney, I didn't know what to say. I was fumbling for words. And so I started talking about how many kids we should have and what we should name those kids. It got really awkward really fast. We all have past, which is why Throwback Thursdays work. Like if you're on Facebook or Instagram, whatever, you know, is going on in the interwebs these days, you've seen Throwback Thursdays. My mom loves Throwback Thursdays. Oh man, my mom is all about Throwback Thursdays and she doesn't only post embarrassing photos of her past, she posts embarrassing photos of my past on Throwback Thursdays, okay? I'm like, mom, can those old Polaroids just stay up in that shoebox in the attic? I want those to be hidden, mom, okay? So here's one of the things from my past that she posted. Okay, I'm the short one with blonde hair and they made me wear plaid pants to church on Easter. It was terrible, okay? So embarrassing, but I was too young. I didn't really have a decision in the matter. Okay, mom and dad, listen. If your kid shows up with plaid pants on Easter, we're having a talk, okay? A little come to Jesus, time to repent talk, okay? This is a part of my past I wish could stay hidden. Here comes another one right here. Oh, there I am. Okay, you can't see me because my skin is as pale as a ghost. I'm rocking the braces. The t-shirt is like three sizes too big for me. But here's the worst part. I still have the exact exact same haircut. This is not going in the right direction. Willie, my friend, I need some help, bro. Okay, so anyways, we've all got moments in our past that we wish we could erase. Things that we wish would have never happened that could stay hidden. Let me ask you, what part of your past would you erase? What part of your past would you erase? Maybe a little more serious. I wish I could erase the moments when it wasn't my clothing that was ugly, but it was my heart and my actions. Like when I was in high school and I was leading a Bible study for the youth group, but I was making out with a girl 
right before and after. Or years ago, whenever I looked at pornography while my oldest son, just newborn, was taking a nap. It was years ago, but I just wish it was gone. We all have those moments too. Moments that, frankly, things that we did or things done to us, we just wish we could change them or they would have never happened. What parts of your past do you wish you could erase? This morning, we're looking at a passage in the Bible, in the book of Ephesians, that is like the worst throwback Thursday ever. The Apostle Paul, who wrote this book, he goes up into the attic, gets that shoebox, brings it down, and makes us look at the old Polaroids of our past. It's gut-wrenchingly honest and pulls no churches, but, pulls no punches, but... (laughs) But church, listen to this, okay? The reason our past comes up is so that we can see how brilliantly beaming our future is. We may come from some dark days, but we are headed for glory and grace, right? Like our past is real, but his grace is greater. So here's what we're going to do. Open your Bibles, Ephesians chapter 2. We're just going to go verse by verse, do some good old-fashioned Bible study. Let's start in verse 1. It says, and you were. There's the past tense, right? We're looking back. You were what? Dead. In the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. So you, me, we were dead. This is our shared past where we all come from, where we all started. The Bible says we were dead, which sounds crazy since right now, as best as we can tell, we are all alive. Like our hearts are beating, our brains are waving, our lungs are breathing. The Bible isn't saying that we were physically dead, but that we were spiritually dead. In our relationship to God, our hearts were dead, our brains weren't waving, and our lungs weren't breathing. I still remember a few years ago walking into the funeral home and seeing my grandma's body in the coffin. I didn't know how to process what my eyes were seeing. There was wonderful color on her face. She was wearing her Sunday best clothes. She had on beautiful jewelry. Her hair was done up. She had her glasses on and a small smile lined her face. As odd as it may sound, my grandma looked better then than I had seen her in years. But she was gone. She she was dead. All of the embalming and makeup and hairdoing and clothing couldn't make her undead. This is what the Bible is saying about us. We were spiritually dead to God. We were trying our best to look good and do good and fix ourselves and make ourselves up. But inside, we were gone. We were empty. We were dead. We might as well have been the one in the coffin. That is our past. And then the Bible goes on in Ephesians 2 and it says, takes it a step further. We weren't only dead, we were dead in our transgressions and our sins. It says, we were following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, 
carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. That's a long way of saying that we were dead and we were doing the works of death. Paul says that our world has a course, a regimen, a way, a road, and we all walked it. It felt and it smelt like independence. I'm going to do things my own way, carry out the desires of my flesh and my body and my mind. I'm going to stick it to the man. I am my own person. And like Lady Gaga, I was born this way. But actually what we were doing is just what everybody else was doing. Following the course of this world, we were doing stuff, we were working, we were making things happen, but it was works of death. It's like we were slaves, but we couldn't see our own shackles. That's what the Bible is saying. This is our past. These are the parts of our past that we all wish could stay hidden. That would have never happened. Some of you have very vivid memories and you know exactly what I'm talking about right now. And the Bible has strong and scary words to describe it. Words like dead, sin, disobedience, wrath. And I don't like to hear those words. Just like I don't like my mom posting photos of me on Facebook. Just like I don't like confessing my sin in front of all of you guys on Sunday mornings. But I have to be honest, it's my past. It's where I started. It's our past. It's where we started, all of us. But praise God, it is only our past, right? We got more verses to study. Let's go verse four, okay? Ephesians 2, 4, and 5. But God, are there any two better words weighing in on the other side, lining up and going in contrast to everything that we just heard, weighing in against the enemy and making his case, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. So yes, we were dead, but God the Father loved us and moved towards us in our state of death and made us alive together with Christ. Here's what that means. Jesus, think about Jesus. He willingly died on the cross, in sin, in my trespasses and your trespasses. Jesus was fully, completely, thoroughly dead. He was dead as a doornail, but as Ephesians 1 says, God raised him back from that death. God the Father saw the death of Jesus. He was moved by his sacrifice, and with unlimited, immeasurable power and pleasure, he raised Jesus back from the dead. Then Paul right here says that God made us alive together with Christ. That means we get the same resurrection. If you are in Jesus, God the Father loves you so much that he raises you back to life, victorious and alive. The very resurrection of Jesus is your resurrection. It's my resurrection from death to life in Jesus. So our past was death. You were dead, but our present is life. You have been made alive together with Christ. And not only does he raise us from the dead, he keeps right on raising us up higher with Christ. Okay, go back to your Bibles. I'm about to read you a Bible verse that you aren't going to believe. Okay? And what I want you to do is put on your thinking cap 
and your imagination had at the same time. It's going to feel like you're reading a theology textbook and a children's fairy tale, okay? Look at verse 6. God raised us up with him, with Jesus, and seated us with him where? In the heavenly places. This is all past tense. This isn't, he's not talking about what he's going to do. God did this, seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So track with me. Jesus died and he was buried. But then God raised him from the dead. After Jesus was raised from the dead, he walked the earth for a little while. He showed himself to his disciples and to about 500 other people. But then after Jesus did that, he never died again. He never went back to the grave. The Bible says that Jesus ascended into heaven. Literally, while his dudes were watching him, mouths gaping open, probably drooling in shock, Jesus ascended back into heaven and he was seated at the right hand of God. He sat down like a boss, like someone who just completed a good job and wants to sit down and be proud of all that he had accomplished, okay? Now, here's the part that's hard to believe. The Bible just said that God did the exact same thing for you and for me. We were dead, dead as a doornail. We might as well have been six feet under in a dirty coffin packed with sins. But because of all Jesus did for us and because of how much the father loved us, he raised us back to life, but it doesn't stop there. He also spiritually raised us up with Christ. Our spirits, the truest, most real, most essential parts of who we are, have ascended with Jesus into the heavenly. And God has given us a seat next to Jesus. We get to sit down like a boss. Or maybe not like a boss because we didn't really do anything to deserve it, right? More likely we're turning towards Jesus and bowing down, singing his praises and thanking him profusely because if it wasn't for him, we wouldn't be there. But we are there because of Jesus. It's hard to believe, right? Like, it takes imagination to understand this reality. And this is why we love fairy tales. This is why Lord of the Rings rings so true in us. Why Star Wars resonates within us. Why we are intrinsically drawn to things that are bigger than us or beyond us. Because that's where we belong. We belong to another world. We belong with Jesus in the heavenlies. You are sitting in that chair this morning. It is a real chair made of metal and cloth and foam and whatever else they put in there. You're here. But in Jesus, at the same time, and even more real than that chair, you are seated in the heavenlies, given the same privilege and purpose of Jesus Christ himself, from the depths of the grave to the heights of the heavens, from the loneliness of death to the company of Jesus, from slavery to sin to reigning and ruling with Christ himself. This is incredible. This is amazing. But some of you, you may feel kind of like I feel in algebra classes. You know, like the professor, 
He's up there talking and drawing random squigglies and X's and Y's on the paper. And to him, it seems so real. He's so excited. But I'd kind of just like to be excused and go get a candy bar, you know? Like to that guy in the textbook that I'm supposed to be reading, it all seems so real. But I'm like, what difference does all this make in my life? What am I supposed to do with this? So what I want to do is give you three practical takeaways, okay? Three ways that all of this death to life to heavenlies, how does it change or impact our lives, all right? Number one is this. Your past is real. Your past is real. The Bible uses metaphors and extreme words like trespasses and wrath and death to describe our past. But when you stop and think about it, that's exactly how we felt, right? We felt dead. We felt like zombies who were trying to do good works and make something of our lives. But inwardly, we were drained and despairing and dead. Like if you would have seen me pre-Jesus... You would have seen someone who went to church and had friends to invite to his birthday party. But inside, I was wasting away. I was empty of joy and I was filled up with guilt. I had this loneliness and this nagging sense of sin that I just couldn't get rid of. No matter how hard I fought against it, it wouldn't go away. And so to me, when I read that I was dead, I'm thinking, yeah, exactly. I was dead. Our past, you and me, are truly, though painfully, described for us in Ephesians 2. So church, can we do this? Can we just be honest about our past? Can we we not pretend like we were all that in a bag of chips, right? Can we just be honest with where we came from, where we all started, not pretend like it never happened, not try to avoid it? Can we just be honest about our past? Here's what I see happen sometimes, and I've seen it with so many of my friends, it breaks my heart. They they get a newfound interest in religion or spirituality. Maybe they go through a hard time, like their marriage falls apart or the doctor delivers bad news. Or maybe they go through a good time, a new boyfriend or girlfriend who wants them to come to church with them. And so they start kind of exploring this Jesus thing. They try to be a good person, start trying to fix what's wrong in their lives, um, heal up what is broken from their past, make good for the bad things they've done. They smile more, they yell less, they get in a city group, give to the church, whatever it is. And what can happen is we start to think that Jesus is in the business of making good people great. That he's all about taking the not so nice parts of my life and making them a little nicer. But Jesus isn't in the business of making good people great. He's in the business of making dead people alive. The starting place for all of us is in a coffin, wrapped in our sins, deader than a doornail. Jesus isn't into embalming and makeup and Sunday clothes that clean up and cover over death. Jesus is into going into that grave and rising us up out of that death. So with a loving heart, I don't want you to get made up and fixed up and dolled up, but never get raised up with Christ. We were dead. And honestly, some of you are still dead. And I'm so glad that you're here and you've connected with Christian friends. But listen, this is what I want you to hear this morning. The invitation for you this morning isn't for you to figure out your life and get things fixed and put back in place. 
It isn't for you to pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. The gospel isn't a second chance or a self-help program that leaves everything up to you where you have to work harder and try more. The gospel, if you boil it down to just one word, is this, resurrection. You are invited to come to Jesus and let him make you alive again. A whole new set of lungs, a whole new way of thinking, a whole new heart beating. He will make you alive just like he made Jesus Christ alive when he was dead. That's the invitation. If you're dead this morning and you're trying your best to figure out life, but you know you're dead inside, you can feel it, then I want to invite you. Come to Jesus. He'll make you alive. Our past is real. Second takeaway for us, okay? So our past is real, but the second thing is this. Our future, your future is grace. Your future is grace. Look at Ephesians 2 verse 7. All of this death to life to heavenly stuff, it's for a reason. What is that reason? Verse 7 says, so that In the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Your future from here until forever, it is all grace all the time. Grace is God's one-way love towards you. And if you've ever had a three-month-old infant or if you've ever worked in a daycare, you understand what one-way love is all about. Infants are cute, but they don't do anything for you, right? They eat, they sleep, they poop, they cry. They wake up in the middle of the night, they cost money. Not even once do they say thank you, right? But parents, what do we do for them? We love them. We serve them, we change our diapers, we rock them back to sleep. We will do anything and everything for those little three-month-olds, even though they've never done a chore or written us a thank you note or snapped their onesie back in place after they changed their own diaper. That is grace. That is one-way love. And it's so important for us to get this, okay? So important for us to understand what grace is because some of you this morning, you might be thinking, Doug, you don't know my past, bro. You don't know my past. I know yours. Yours is like churchy and it was kind of cute sin, but not mine. My past is broken like a bottle on the highway. It is rotten, ruined, and wrong. My past has ruined my future. I got so much shame, I couldn't even tell you about it. So let me say this. I hear you. I hear you. And yes, your past is real. Your pain, your passions, your pleasures, they were all real. But as real as it was, I want to say this. God's grace is greater His grace can wash away the darkest stain on your soul. His grace can clean up the worst crime that you've committed. It can heal the wounds you inflicted and the blows you received. God's grace is one-way love. So that means that no matter how feeble your attempts were to love him or how brave your efforts were to hate him, it doesn't change how he relates to you with grace, with one-way love. He will dig down and climb down into that six-foot pit you've got, and he will resurrect you, your heart, and your hopes. No lock can stop him. No tombstone can block him. No power can stand against him. And the deadest of hearts, he can resurrect in one moment with his grace, his one-way love. Somebody say amen. Someone else say amen. This is 
such good news. I mean, this is incredible. Your past is real, but his grace is greater. When you are in Jesus, all of your ugliness and your dirtiness and your sinfulness get swallowed up in his holiness and righteousness and goodness. Yours is gone. His is here. So maybe my stain looked like some grape juice on my jeans. And maybe your stain looked like red paint spilled all over white carpet. But the grace of God is good enough and pure enough and strong enough that it can wash both of those stains away in such a way that you and I stand before the throne of God with absolutely no boast, but all grace to receive. God's grace is greater forever. It says he has immeasurable riches of his grace. You can't check your balance when it comes to God's grace account. It's unlimited. It's eternal. It's enduring. It is forever. He has enough grace to resurrect the deadest of hearts and enough grace that after 3,000 million years with him, he's never once going to get tired of us. He isn't moody. He doesn't change. He isn't deceitful. He's never going to go bankrupt, and he's always glad to share. It's grace then. It's grace now. In church, it is grace forever for ages to come. So your past is real, but your future is all grace. One more takeaway. One way that all of this death to life to heavenlies impacts our lives is this. Number three, your present is powered. Your present is powered like a battery that makes a clock keep ticking or your phone keep running. Your present is powered. Let me show it to you in our text. Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, right? No dead person can raise themselves back to life. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. This is what we've been saying all morning long. God, because of his love for us, gives us grace, and that grace resurrects us back to new life, doing what we could never do. Now, keep reading. Last verse, verse 10. For we are his workmanship, created. We're made alive, right? He's doing all of this. Why? In Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So this grace, this God raising us from the dead, seating us with Christ in the heavenlies, it gives us a new power and a new purpose for right here, right now. And that power is for us to do good works. When we were spiritually dead, we did works. We followed the course of this world. We lived out our wishes, but all of those wishes and works only led to more death. Now that we've been made alive in Jesus, we still do works. This new grace empowers new works that are life-giving and joy-producing and God-showing kind of work. So let me make this incredibly personal, okay? And I'm talking to you, okay? I'm not talking to the person next to you right now. I'm talking to you. God made you alive. God rose you from the dead because he has a special and specific purpose for your life. 
like an artist with a painting or a developer with an app or a carpenter with his wood, God has masterfully, wonderfully, creatively resurrected you because he has a specific and a special purpose for your life. He has good works already planned for you to walk in them. That means that your right now matters. Your today matters. You make a difference. God has good works planned for you. Things that you will do, ways that you will love, resources you will give, words you will say, talents you will show, time you will share, works that you will work, all empowered by his grace. The same grace that raised you from the dead and the same grace you will enjoy forever is the grace in your life today to empower you to do good works. So if you're wondering if you can help someone, the answer is yes. If you're wondering if our church needs you, the answer is yes. If you're wondering if God sees, God cares, God knows, if God has a purpose for your life, the answer is yes. Because of his love for you, And because of Jesus' sacrifice for you, God has raised you from the dead, promised you eternal grace, and given you a power and a purpose to do good works right now. So City Light, let's be a people, let's be a church, a resurrected people who enjoy the grace of God. Amen? Amen. Amen.